Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Christopher, it's William. Come in. Christopher, come in. Paging Los Angeles. William? I can hear you. William, can I paint a picture for you? Yes. To the left of me, someone is fanning me with palm fronds. The birds are singing. A cool diet cola is sitting to my right as a jacuzzi laps in front of me. It's so unfair because my scene is a finished New York cheesecake, mm-hmm. a dachshund who's growling, and a lot of Did dog you know- hair. There's no place like home. Hello and welcome to, well, I say hello with joy and also some sadness to the last episode of season two of Homo Sapiens. I feel like season two, I have learnt so much from some of the most nutritious people I have ever encountered. And I actually think you could do it as a piece of coursework when you're at school, is you have to go up and down the country and meet inspirational people. I feel like you'd learn way more than most university courses. From Corbin to Cumming, from Mickey Blanco to Kate and Helen Richardson-Walsh. To Helen from Hebden Bridge. I am in... The Hollywood Hills. Show me, I'm so salivating. I'm going to flip you the 180, as they say. I see nice clean walls, clean architectural walls, very LA. Okay. Oh, okay. so you're going out onto the... Oh, Haba, my God. Haba. Oh, my God. It's like Cheryl Cole's come to Los Angeles. A tiled Spanish villa-style breakout zone, I would call this. I see the pool. pool. Gentle jacuzzi at the end. Oh, I see some empties. Oopsie. There's an empty oh, bottle of rosé. of rosé. Oh, uh, yeah, so now there's a balcony above that veranda. Every house in LA has been on the market before, and they do videos of the houses. We all took a bet as to what it's worth. It's $4 million. $4 million. $4 million. And we're Doesn't not look. in the crazy bit. I drove through Bel Air. I saw Justin Timberlake's house. Is there a giant denim hat on the top? <laughs> Um, Justin Trouser Snake. Uh, Did I tell you my friend slept um, with him? No. Yeah, someone who's famous who so well, we'll bleep out the name. Um, <gasps> in the morning, she, he got out of the bed and walked to the ensuite in the hotel, and she looked at his bum and said, "Wow, that's a great ass. That's Justin Timberlake's ass." Who have we got coming up this week as our guest? It's our last instalment of being on the road for our tour, LGBTQ plus tour across the UK. And we went to Yorkshire, to Keithley, to see Francis Lee, who is the director of Breakout Hip, God's Own Country, which is a, a film. 
It's beautiful here. When I was a kid, I thought I would never leave my farm. It's beautiful here, but lonely, you know? They call his film The British Brokeback Mountain, which is perhaps a little misleading, but it made me feel quite similar how I felt when I watched Brokeback Mountain. It's a love story about a guy in Yorkshire and a Romanian worker comes over to work on his farm and they have to work together and they don't get along, but then they fall in love. And it won't ruin the end, but Mama cried and cried and cried beautiful film. I've been massively overwhelmed with how this film has impacted on lots and lots of people's lives. How networks have grown up around the film, you know, social networks with people meeting on social media when they're talking about the film. They call themselves the God's Own Country family. So we went up to his house to see him to talk about that film, obviously, because it's had such a huge impact, but also to talk about his outlook on life. He is a very principled man who kind of puts creativity first and will not bend on that in a really good way. We live in a world where you can access pretty much whatever you want, whenever you want it. Mm. And that becomes, I think, problematic. It's by no mistake I live in this hut on the side of a hill that's very remote that last week I had to be dug out of in order to get to an award ceremony in London. I think God's Own Country is a very important film because it's a true, simple love story. It was so wonderful to see something that wasn't sensationalised. It was just nice to see two characters that I related to. And so I would totally recommend it to... Uh, anyone and also set outside a metropolis what i think is important about it as well is that it's not about coming out and the struggle it's about a universal idea of how hard it is to be loved and i think we've all struggled with that and that is something that will be pertinent to gay men because there's two gay men in the film but it would be massively pertinent to everyone else in the lgbtq plus and beyond spectrum and way beyond that as well and that's probably why it has connected with people so coming up next our chat with francis lee how are you for a start how am i i have done a bit of gardening today because of Mm -hmm. drain gate the shit coming up literally and metaphorically um the shit volcano you had installed in the garden some people do a water feature i do a shit volcano i washed do i say i washed i cleaned lola because she gets very hot in the i know paul lola. oh she's lola. struggling a lot I know she's, she's got long fur now she's got long fur she's sort of huskyish. so we had a we had a good old scrub in the dub um, rub it up dub. yeah and then i dried her with the hairdryer on cool which she absolutely loved there's nothing cuter. We have a tumble dryer and when the tumble dryer is on, it like puts out warm air and Ridley just goes and stands in front of it with it like literally blowing in the breeze. It's the cutest little thing you could ever see. Wait, but tell me, how has the trip been? Okay, so I arrive, I'm tired. Within six hours, I'm like, I'm moving here. Yes. It's been a really good trip. I've had lots of meetings for work, which has been very good. And then I've met with some surrogacy lawyers to talk about the best ways to go about having a child. If you do surrogacy in the UK, there isn't really like a formal process for it. You can't, uh, it's all about sort of asking someone to do it. From what I've gleaned, asking someone to do it almost as a favour. Whereas in America, 
it's actually like a business you can pay to do it which is why I came here to talk to some people about it I'm sort of on a fact-finding mission because it takes a long time it can take about two years from beginning to end and also it's incredibly expensive which leads me to my just giving page which is at www (laughs) (laughs) this is very exciting would you trust me with a child absolutely yes old butterfingers over here (laughs) they're big on the royal wedding here they are obsessed with it. Oh, because she's American, isn't she? There's this trailer playing everywhere for a film about Harry and Meghan getting married. And the people playing them look so much like them, I thought it was them. I was like, they're just playing this loop they've edited together. Because it's like him putting the ring on her finger and then them kissing. And I was like, how have they got that footage? Like, <laughs> they haven't done that. And then I was like, oh, it's like some Lifetime movie. They love those kind of movies, don't they? I was asked to direct the Spice Girls one. What? True story. Why did you say no? I didn't say no. They didn't make it. They didn't get the rights. They're going to lose their shit, aren't they, about that wedding? I mean, that is Americans going absolutely bananas for that kind of stuff. My friend, my friend Stuart Parvin is apparently the bookie's favourite to be the man who designs her dress. I, we tried to get it out of him if he's doing it. He is not telling a single... If I was Megan, what would I do? Oh, what would you have her in? Okay, she so Violet Bakery are making the cake. It's like a sort of hipster bakery in East London. It's a very small little place. It's nothing to do with being royal. Mm-hmm. Um, they also aren't inviting any heads of state or anything to their wedding. They're sort of they're being as kind of normal as they can, let's say. So, the dress. I don't think it's going to be any one establishment. I think it's going to be a small British designer that she wants to shine the light on. Probably something eco, maybe something sustainable. Okay, so definitely not plastic. She won't wear plastic. <laughs> um, Where do you stand on bubble wrap? <laughs> one of those little stickers, the arrow that goes round saying recyclable. <laughs> the green one. Yeah. Totally. There goes Megan in a totally recyclable, <laughs> like That's bits a- of old seaweed <laughs> going up the aisle. That'll be a hat. Like an old tyre dragging like a shopping cart, like an old trolley. <laughs> Everything salvaged from the River Thames. Yes. <gasps> do you think we could do like a live... Should we do a live Homo sapiens? From of... the Royal Wedding. <laughs> but in like a caravan in Slough. Um, yeah. Which isn't far from Windsor. And dress up <laughs> our pet gerbils as Harry and Meghan. They need some new fresh talent, modern, fresh, gay. Who would you get? Can't think. Chris and Will. Yes! William, this week I am in sunnier climes for my work and it led us to get a talking about what are the biggest some of the funniest stories come from work and i was thinking what are the biggest mistakes that people have made at work and as sure as it is day uh we've got some brilliant responses i'm not sure sure as sure as it is day as a saying Um, (laughs) can i just just say my favorite response what's the biggest mistake you've made at work uh, this is from Jamie Carter and its carts, Cindy in accounts. There's a story there, there is, people. The frost has not thawed between those two, I think. Chris Young called my boss mum once. I st- totally still don't think about how devastating that was. That's really funny. Oh, God, I did that at school. What's your worst onstage moment been? I wasn't wearing any pants. I think I probably said it before. And I my trousers split and I was thrusting into some poor... audience members face and i saw their face turn from semi-delight to absolute horror to to then a slow form of disgust 
as they saw <laughs> my penis waving wow. in their face. And I had to finish the gig with a towel wrapped around my waist. Did you? In Portugal. It was in Portugal. I feel like you would have quite a few answers to this question, what's the worst thing that's ever happened at work? When I worked at MTV, I was an intern, and MTV was quite a laissez-faire place, let's say. So I was very young, and they asked me to organise a forum on gun crime. It was going to be a live two-hour show about gun crime. And I had never done anything like this before. And I was very young. So I organised this forum on gun crime. And I was really proud of myself. I got amazing people to come, including Diane Abbott. One mistake at a maker is that I put everyone who was going to be debating on the live show in the same green room. And it kicked off. Like, I remember walking... Because there was all these people, very, very charged. People were in that room who'd been trying to get in touch with someone else in that room for years and had been ignored and stuff. And I basically put them all in the same green room without realising. And then I remember just walking away from the room and just hearing, like, shrieking and screaming. And I was (laughs) like, you know, when you're literally like, oh, my God, what have I done? Um, (laughs) So then everyone had to be separated. And that was all my fault. And I was really, really embarrassed. God, I've been in, and there's many more. What about you? Worst thing I've ever done? I think I walked on stage in in Ireland. Colots. And I think I said, oh, well, doesn't matter, we're all part of the UK or something like that. And we weren't. <laughs> so I, had, I got booed off stage. Did you? Uh, mistakes that have been made at work. Wilma H says, hitting a car with work's van. My friend Claire, you know, you know Claire and Hugh, mm. she rang me up once. She was like, I'm having an awful day. And I said, why? And she'd ordered a giant Thomas the Tank Engine to go into the Trafford Centre in Manchester or somewhere like that. She didn't see that the measurements were approximated rather than exact. (gasps) And this enormous Thomas the Tank Engine could not get into the shopping centre by about two millimetres. Oh, my God. A friend of mine, who I can't say the name, was in Africa filming a documentary and they were staying in a hotel in the middle of nowhere and then they had to go filming the next day and even more in the middle of nowhere it was like a six to eight hour drive to get to the interview they all got in the car like eight of them a whole filming crew they arrived when they got there and my friend opened the bag and he had left the tapes to record on in the hotel room (laughs) (sighs) That is awful. Um, I know. Darren mm-hmm. Tedeschi, losing my temper at work. Mm. Have you ever? Ooh. I can't imagine you losing your temper. I mean, I have been directed with you, and you are—you do throw things. I am. Uh, I am. My style of of work is that I am never rude. I am never impatient. But if someone's being shit, I always call them out. Do you get lip quiver? Oh, you get angry. I get very nervous expressing myself. But it just, you can't, you still got to do it. What about you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Shit loads of times. I did it during, during Strictly, which is a show that I'm doing at the Piccadilly Theatre. Shut up. Yes. the show. Thank the Lord we've come to the end of the season because this is three strikes and you're out almost. <laughs> well, anyway, it's in the Piccadilly <laughs> Theatre. Well, I marched out of a rehearsal admittedly with only five minutes to go and said to Drew the director 
to be honest, Drew, I don't give a fuck. But the problem was that no one noticed my strop. So then I sent a text to one of the guys, Luke, saying, I'm really sorry, it was really unprofessional. And he was like, I don't actually know what you're talking about. So Mm. it didn't really even have the required effect that I, whatever that required effect was. Yeah. But until I'm, I'm actually, apart from this job, I have, would say I haven't lost my temper on a job for a long, long, long time. So I think I just needed to kind of like relearn some stuff. There's nothing wrong with conflict in work, I think. Uh, as in, I'm really, I used to be very scared of it. So nothing wrong with it. You just got to do it in the right way. That's what Would you know who would agree with me on that? Cindy and Accounts. I want to hear from Cindy and Accounts. Cindy, you deserve to have your say. More on that for season three. That'll be our opening episode. God, imagine if it was Cindy Crawford. If it was Cindy Crawford. If it's Cindy Crawford, I'll die. I think it's time to go to our interview with the renowned, esteemed, uh, well-known and wonderful director, Francis Lee. Uh, We travelled up to Yorkshire to talk to Francis Lee about his film, God's Own Country. He filmed God's Own Country on the farm he grew up on, where his house was right by there. So that's where we went to visit him, in the middle of nowhere. You're definitely vocal about my driving, and particularly my parking. Driving down <laughs> Francis's frozen driveway, because we're in the hills, I suppose. We've just driven past a frozen fox, just dead on the side of the road. We're in God's own country, Mourne. Oh, we are. It's just wonderful. It's like coming back. Okay, so I can see a person. There's a cabin. Oh, is that the cabin on the right? I think that's him. I've left over the alone. Just come all the way down, keep right, and park in front of the hut. So it's there. Okay, so park in front of the hut. I think this is Francis's lawn you're driving over. I think here's good. Here's good. <laughs> tension, tension in the G wagon, people. Don't tell me how to drive. How did you find the place here? So I knew I was going to shoot the film up on these hills. And I had a friend who was a filmmaker. And he said to me, oh, well, I've got a friend who has a house that they're doing up. And they've got this cabin, this hut next to it. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but maybe you could move into that. So you lived here while you were making the film and then you stayed? Yes. I moved here when I started the official prep on the film and lived here while I shot it. And we just stayed here. And it's felt a real, a really good, positive creative place to be and away from all the noise that the Mm. film has created because we have virtually no internet here there's no mobile phone signal and so once I'm here I'm virtually uh, I can't be contacted so it's been fantastic and when you say the noise Mm. you know so when the film came out in the UK on the 1st of September and there were posters everywhere and I think they branded the Curzon cinema in London with the picture of the two boys on it and there was Mm. lots of talk I was really kind of unaware of it because I was living here away from all of that and I think that that felt very safe and special really I felt I'd made the film and it was everybody else's turn to discover it and to have a connection to it I love because I I do feel that once art is made it's for other people Mm. to do with it what they will Mm. and often people 
they either not for any fault of their own or can't come from a desire or whatever can then get swept away with that secondary thing mm. you know within it which I don't think can always be that healthy <coughs> no I agree ow Chris <laughs> we've already fallen out once in the car. <laughs> we fell out <laughs> over major, directions major fall out <laughs> I was backseat driving um, I would call it I healthy. don't want to bring it up in front of other people if that's alright no, we'll just wait till we get to Hepton Bridge and have a little Real <laughs> um, I'm saying this, it's just not yeah. not healthy to get involved in that well, kind of. I think that you know, potentially not healthy. No, not for me. I think everybody has a different, obviously, way of dealing with things. But I, I like a quiet life. I like my friends. I like my family. I guess the idea of, you know, parties and reviews and I knew I, there was only one way I could make this film and that's how I made it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have done it any differently. Yeah. So if, if people don't like it, I don't have an answer mm-hmm. because I don't know how I could have done it differently. And I've been massively overwhelmed with how this film has impacted on lots and lots of people's lives and how people have been to see this film you know, multiple times and how networks have grown up around the film, you know, social networks with people meeting on social media when they're talking about the film. And that's been incredible to see and fantastic to see. You know, they call they call themselves the God's Own Country family and and they're having a social meeting. They're all going to meet up and they talk about lots of things on social media and that that feels incredibly special. It's interesting because not that I'm just gonna bang on about this the entire week, but a lot of our listeners Yeah. (laughs) Will's driving here was um, a lot of the people who listen to our podcast write in and say that they feel a lot of loneliness and isolation and the podcast enables people in isolated areas to feel like they've got some friends to listen to it creates a community but it sounds like the same is going on mm. for you with the film is it's creating a community ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. A friend of mine who grew up near Garsdale watched your film and was like, that was my fucking childhood (laughs) he just went bananas and he said that's me and my friend and Mark a friend of ours was talking earlier about that it's really special for us to be able to come outside of London to meet an LGBT representative let's say rather than everything normally is all about you go to London to see those people and it feels like a really progressive step to say that there's things going on that being represented around corners of the country And I hadn't thought about it like that. It's been such an interesting question. You know, the the film is set in very close to where I grew up 
where I now live, where my family live. You know, I see this as my community. And the reason that the film, for me, isn't around the problems of sexuality or coming out or the difficulties of sexuality, and the film is much more about the acceptance of love mm. and vulnerability, was because that wasn't in my personal experience. Mm. That I have found you know, the community I am from and live in to be very open. You know, they might not want to sit around and talk about the ins and outs of your personal life, but they certainly aren't going to reject you because of it. So, yeah, I, I've always felt kind of safe and happy and contented within this area. How did you settle on, you said once the hardest thing you'd ever have to do was be loved. How did you settle on that? You said you had the story in you and because I think a lot of people are connected with that. Well, because I think it is the, the, just the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And so that felt a very rich territory to go and unpick and mm. to work through for myself the process. Mm. And I, I love process in, every, in everything, mm. whether that be emotionally or physical or whatever. I like to feel like a processed human being really? and keep working through things. So making the film or writing the film anyway was very much about the process of falling in love and how open and vulnerable you have to be. Mm. Um, a biggie. Mm. But I don't think a lot of people are prepared for that. It was very interesting in the writing of it because I worked with a wonderful script editor called Anna Seifert Speck. And one of the reasons she was so wonderful is because she would get a draft and she would look at it and she'd go, it's wonderful, we really like it, blah, blah, blah. And then she'd go, but there, I, in this scene, there's, I just think that you can go deeper. What is it really about? Mm. What are you really saying? I mean, I'm wondering if that's why the film, to me, is so authentic. I'm making up from that digging. Mm. It, it can only then come from an authentic place. I guess. You know, because it's very pure to me, the film. It was really interesting as well about once the characters had really taken hold in the script that they felt so three-dimensional. They felt so real to me. Mm. And they felt their own people. And I felt very protective of them. It reminds me a little bit of something I think Russell T Davies said to us, because we spoke to him for our last oh. season. He said that gay characters written by gay men are often incredibly one-dimensional, because to make that character really great, you've got to look at all your own shit. I mean, I think that any character you have to put yourself in, mm. elements of yourself, you know, you know, it was very difficult for me to see my leading character, Johnny, fuck up his life, mm. make bad choices, mm. be a dick. Mm. You know, they weren't easy things to write because you're like, no, come on. Why are you mm -hmm. doing this? And that's so interesting. So you've got, it's almost like there's two, you've got an investment almost as a reader, but you're also, and you're also writing it. Yeah. Where did you write the film? Was it in London? I wrote it partially in the static caravan in Dad's farmyard and partially in London. What took you to London? I wanted to be an actor, and I didn't really know how you became an actor, so the only route I thought was going to drama school. I instantly felt that I didn't really belong there, but then when I'd come home and my accent had changed and I'd lived in London mm. and was a bit more savvy and metropolitan, I didn't feel at home coming home anymore. So there were many years of feeling like not belonging in your new life, and not belonging in your old life. Mm. Mm. It was peculiar. Yeah, it sounds quite discombobulating. Yes, that's right a very word. good word. Yeah. Yes. And then after that? I worked as an actor for 20-something years. 
But I was very lucky, so I worked, and I worked with incredible directors. But I never felt very comfortable. I always wanted to write, and I always wanted to tell stories, but I was never confident enough to write anything down. And so it took me to get to 40, and I guess a midlife crisis of, what the hell are you doing with your life? You have to do the things you want to do. So I gave up acting and started to make film. Did you get there naturally? I guess so. I think it was I just think it was frustration and a drive to tell stories. You know, I think if you're a natural storyteller, like if you're a, you know, you will find some way of telling that, whether that's writing poems or a novel or writing songs or, or whatever it is, you know, or a film. Because acting, I find, for for someone who's itching to tell stories, mm. I imagine that must have driven you crazy. Because yeah. Yes, it did. Because also as an actor, you get scripts, right? And you read them and you go, but this makes no sense. They mm. should do this. And if you're in a scene with someone who's shit, that's rubbish. Cause I mean, I might have always been the one who was shit, to be <laughs> honest. I think people would often look at me John Nettles would look at me in Midsummer Murders and go, oh, God, why have we got this one? Were you on Midsummer Murders? Uh, quite a few times, yes, because you can go back every two years and play someone different. Oh, really? my God, I've always wanted to be in Midsummer Murders. <laughs> so acting, I, I also think acting is get the hardest job. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't easy, and I don't think it ever gets any easier. And to be an interpretive artist, I think, is particularly tough. If you're not creating your own work, mm. it's really tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was something, as I say, that I just had enough of. So here's a question, because you can't get internet access here. No. Or phone. Do you have a sort of routine where you go and check in with emails? Would you go to like... Go to my dad's, they have broadband at the farm. So you'll go up to your dad's sort, yeah. sort of once a day or something? Mm, maybe once a day. Have a Publicly cup of tea. clear that's once a day. Well, I was thinking it's He's like... clearly got super fibre broadband in here somewhere. <laughs> so find it. I wish we did. You're watching 4K films and we know it. <laughs> I saw you streaming The Crown. <laughs> that ain't a bowl of vegetables there. <laughs> That's a super <laughs> Wi-Fi hub. <laughs> I see three blue lights on That's that. That's so funny. Room. But it's really interesting because you're... You're putting boundaries down, which yes. need to be down in yes. order to achieve something. And it's you yes, know, but I love boundaries. Yes, <laughs> I love boundaries, but I, and rules. I, I employ them all the time in the work. You know, each department mm. in the film had a very strict set of rules, mm. and they could not stray from them mm. because I feel it pushes you. Yeah. creatively yeah. makes you think on different levels mm. you know we live in a world where you can access pretty much whatever you want whenever you want to mm. and that becomes I think problematic and therefore I like to limit you know mm. it's by no mistake I live in this hut on the side of a hill that's very remote that last week I had to be dug out of in mm. order to get to an award ceremony in London which you won Oodles of awards ceremony. yeah how many awards did you win? I think the film won four. Question for you. When I've won the very few awards that I've won, oh. when I've got them... The I Nobel thought, Prize was the picky there. Chris, now come on. <laughs> you know this isn't about me. <laughs> Everyone can transcribe anything Why into Latin. <laughs> into ancient Latin. In under on three papyrus minutes. On <laughs> doing a spelling bee. <laughs> when I get it, I think, oh, God, I'm happy. Do it hasn't changed my life, right. but I'm sitting there thinking, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Mm. And then when I've got it, I've thought, oh, actually, no, I'm really pleased. <laughs> How was it for you? I am always very thankful to be recognised. It's a lovely thing to be recognised for your work. 
if it means that more people come and see the film, if there's therefore more of an awareness about the film, then, then I think they're great. Sometimes, if I get an award now, in fact, all the time, I say, can I just have the cash equivalent? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's someone's phone. Has someone got phone reception? Yeah, well, there is something beeping. I turn mine off. That would be amazing if there was a mine. network. Well, it's who's probably got connected here. to the Wi-Fi. <laughs> 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 it's on the uh, yeah. yeah. Talking about rules and boundaries, which I think is something we all struggle with. Mm. You shot it chronologically, mm. and so that's a big boundary, mm. particularly to a low-budget film. And how do you hold your shape? We keep talking about holding our shape on this trip, don't we? In like when it. someone sits you down, maybe they didn't, and says, "Francis, it's." We're money. We've got no money. Could you just do this scene on mm. Wednesday, or you know, how do you? Mm. On this film, it felt incredibly important that we shot chronologically for various reasons, for to help those actors build that relationship. Mm -hmm. I knew that if we shot chronologically, I could kind of play with them as well as actors, you know, keep them apart before they meet on screen, right. save that moment, that mm. meeting, then pull them apart again when the characters split up. I knew I was desperate to have that very subtle light and tonal change from, from the end of winter to the beginning of spring. Mm -hmm. And I also knew I would never get the opportunity to make my first film again. Mm. And so I knew I had to do it the way I wanted to do it mm. and stand up for that mm. in every way. And how does that go? Generally, if you're the writer-director, you know, you've written the thing, you know it inside out better than anybody else, you know why you're, you know, I'm not a dick, I'm not purposefully doing something because it will make people's lives difficult mm. and doing it because instinctually mm. instinctively mm. i feel like it is making it is going to make the best thing we can make mm -hmm. i had a very strong vision i guess and and i wanted to stick to it because i thought it would pay off hearing you talk about the preparation it's reminding me of robin young my father mm -hmm. a renowned yeah. yeah he picked me up telling chris he picked me up from the train station and he's not there. No one's getting off the train. He's parked 100 yards up the car park because, so he can park in the middle of the biggest puddle ever. And he's, <laughs> and he's just there, like, <laughs> laughing. Oh my God, fucking hell. So that's Robin Young. Um, he always says, measure twice, cut once. Yeah. And this is what, this is what comes totally. up. I think yeah. of that. Totally. Mm. Totally. Measure it's twice. always in the prep. And then you're in. Yeah, totally. I, I, and also, I don't like surprises. If there's any way I can eradicate any surprise or any question I haven't asked, I'll do it in the prep. So by the time we get to do it, we can fly. We know it all. I don't rehearse the scenes. You know, th that's not prep for me. I don't rehearse the lines or the scenes or anything like that. We build the characters from scratch. And is that a sit-down chat or is that a... Mm. It's a two-way thing with the actor, you know. Both of those lead actors went to work on farms on this hillside for weeks and weeks and weeks before the shoot. Mm. You know, they, they, and they did shifts. They didn't, they didn't just turn up and take notes. They worked, you know, nine-hour shifts wow. and learnt everything. And so by the time we come to work with animals, everybody assumes working with animals is so hard, they're totally proficient. They grab them, they do what they have to do, we shoot it, we're off. Mm. You know, it's all in the prep like Robin Young would say. Good old Robin Young. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I think Annabelle Young would disagree with some of the bird boxes he's made. Of <laughs> since, since retiring, there's been a lot of bird boxes <laughs> appearing in the hedgerows. Oh, darling, do you want another bird box? No, I've got five. No. He's a law unto himself, but he's very happy. Um, I remember going to see the film. I remember thinking to myself, because it resonated so much with me. I loved watching the way two men were holding each other. Like I related to that mm -hmm. from a love point of view, from how special it is as a gay man. When I go to see gay cinema, I don't really relate to a lot of it for whatever reason. So when I was watching the film, I thought, I just, I really hope that people come and see this film and aren't put off by the fact that it's got two guys. It's about love. Yeah, all I can say is it's, it has become a box office hit. And I have noticed that when I've gone to screenings or when I've seen it, that the, the audience is completely diverse. It is not just made up of white gay men. Mm. And I think what people have responded to in this film is the truth of the emotion regardless of the gender of the two central characters. And I think it's been an incredible year for film. But, you know, you start the year with Moonlight winning, mm. winning the Academy Award, and then you have God's Own Country that's resonated all over the world and Call Me By Your Name. And, and these films are not seen as niche. Mm. You know, they're not marketed as niche. If someone would say that you have made gay cinema or you're a gay film director, I mean, I don't like people thinking of me as a gay... I'm very proud to be a gay man, but I don't. Mm. I don't like being boxed in. I've never liked being boxed in. I didn't like being called posh Will. Mm. I don't like being called gay Will or... I don't even like the name Will. Um, <laughs> what do you prefer? William! Um, <laughs> do you? I love me called William. Okay. Do people, do they think no. of you as a gay um, film director? It, no, not necessarily. It depends. I find my sexuality probably the least interesting parts about me. It's not anything I've ever led with, probably yeah. like yourself. Yeah. I've, never, I've never led with it. It's never felt to be a, a definer. And I don't think that's the same about this film. I don't think it's the defining quality about the film. No. Have you always felt like that? Yeah, it never felt a problem. Yeah. And nobody ever made me really feel like it was a problem. It's so good to hear that because part of the reason we have done our second season of going on the road to so leave London is to hear people say things we'd suspected anyway. Mm. You know, I think it's really positive to hear you saying that it wasn't a problem for you. Not personally, no. I got called a puff the other day. Well, you, I hope you wore it as a badge of honour. When and now I say I drive like a puff. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what the bus driver said to me? Uh, yeah. I used to employ a tactic. I remember I was outside a pub in Hampstead and these guys came in their Vauxhall Nova and uh, they shouted, you're a fag. And so I shouted back, you're a fag. And they went, you're a fag. And I went, you're a fag. Completely flummoxed. Yes. They didn't know what to do. Where do you go with that? They didn't yeah. know where, they yeah, just yeah. drove off. Yeah. It was so funny. That's really funny. <laughs> um, it was a big attack. Well, listen, thank you. Thank you very much for we, coming we, to the wilds of the Yorkshire Moors. We I'm sorry we can't see it in the, in the day. Yes, it's incredible. If I you look out of this window here, you see nothing but, um, but the moors. What a lovely man, William, no? I love it. Did Can you I just say, I love his accent and his voice. If you were going to pick someone to run a cult, I'd get him. Totally. Everyone would do what he said. I was nervous that we were going to get out of there. Because it was super snowy. If it was on TripAdvisor, how would you rate the conversation? Conversation, eight and a half to nine. I would put a caveat in there. 
only drive down this drive if you're not sure if you want to have your life. Yeah, it's a very steep drive, covered in snow, pitch black, on the edge of a cliff. And maybe a proper, maybe some proper lighting for where to park so you don't park on his lawn. Oh, <laughs> bit of feedback. If you wanted to watch God's Own Country please do it is available on netflix and also i note it is available here over here in the u.s on netflix america and it has a 99 percent rating on rotten tomatoes i saw france posted yeah it's getting a really good reception and i'm thrilled that america is getting to see it are you going to come home chris or is that well are you you lost to los angeles I thought I could live in this house that I'm in, but then when I Googled it and it's $4 million, I realised I should probably get on my Norwegian Air economy seat back to London um, (laughs) (laughs) and start doing some work. Other things that are of interest to leave you with. Oh, so um, Adele is over here. Breaking news, she's having a Titanic-themed birthday party. Good night. Um, She was in the gym, apparently. Someone I know saw her in the gym here. She apparently was eating a banana on a Stairmaster. Question mark as to whether that's true. <laughs> but it was her birthday party that night. And she said, I'm having a Titanic-themed birthday party. And the people at the gym brought her out a piñata. Um, you know, those things that you hit. And they'd filled it with cigarettes for her. <laughs> that is amazing. It only ends for me to say thank you. To our brand partners. I need to say thank you. Smirnoff, S-M-I-R-N-O-F-F for Freddie. Smirnoff, who have walked this journey through this whole series with us with their campaign, hashtag we're open, promoting inclusivity in nightlife. They've been fantastic. What I've loved most about this season is the reaction of the listeners who write in all the time saying how much different episodes have touched them and helped them. And that's not us doing that. That's the people we're interviewing. And I'm thrilled that it has had a really positive impact. And we get so many emails every day. And I will just say that we do read them all. We are are not able to reply to them all, but we do try and read them out or we do read them all. Top three moments of season two. Oh, um... Hebden Bridge. Totally. Specifically Helen. The two chaps we spoke to about prep, because it was like being at a comedy show. Yeah. Uh, And also very informative. And I would say Alan Cummings. Yeah, what a guy. You? If I had to do my top three moments, uh, it would be Helen from... In third place, it's Helen from Ribbon Circus. Um, In second place, it would be... I think Mickey Blanco, because he's such a hero. But in pole position, I love everybody for a start, but it would probably be Andrew Moffat and LGBTQ plus inclusivity in schools. And And, and Andrew, because... I think that he is someone who is making huge changes all under his own steam. Amazing guy. Where do we go next? Who knows? Hopefully transatlantic, Europe some sort of ferry crossing at some stage we still might get our space station we've asked can i just say first gaze in space no one's done it gaze in space it's a new tv show (laughs) thank you so much william what a pleasure it's been it's time for a final song should we do a space themed song can you think of a space themed song this is the return of the space homo this is the return of the space homo Ground control to Homotom. 
ground control to homo tom. Shut up, Esme. I'm gonna fall from the stars straight into your homo arms, and I'm transcending to outer space <laughs> to find another homo. I'm transcending to outer space. Find another homo. <laughs> Not really rhyming, is it? <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.